everybody? It's Bill with the SITREP Podcast. And as you can see, we have a full house today. Everybody's at the table getting ready to talk about everything historical wargaming and our topic for today. Historical crossovers. How do you feel about them? What do you think about them? You're accusing us of thinking? Wait, what? Streaming, uh, rendering is taking a little longer. Oh, there we go. So, yeah, yeah, we seems to be having those internet issues like we had last time. So, just so quick update for everybody. This will be the last show I produce from the Florida Keys. As of two weeks from today, we will be living in Tennessee, um, taking on a new role, and we'll be moving to Tennessee. So. We should be back in a real studio with real internet and all that good stuff. So uh, more to come on that. But in the meantime, there is a face that's at the table we haven't seen in quite a while. He's always active. He's always there. But we've missed him at the round table. Jim, how the hell are you? Yeah. Not too bad. Um, kind of busy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's good to be back. Good. So why don't you catch us up? I mean, obviously, people have been seeing your clubs and your games that you've been producing. Um, just kind of give us a quick, you know, elevator pitch of what's going on in your world of gaming. Oh, well, two weeks ago, we had a little event at uh, Doss Creek House, home of South Florida Miniatures Gaming Club, where uh, we had like four games in one weekend. Uh, I presented two of them. One was a rendition of the Battle of Hubbardton in the American Revolution, 7 July, 1777, which went okay. And uh, even bigger, we did uh, Fallujah, you know, or mm -hmm. I should say second Fallujah in November 2004, using Force on Force. So those games uh, went really well. Um, Mark Ritchie, uh, a friend of mine at the club, also ran a couple of tables, uh, some micro-scale Napoleonic. I think they were uh, three-millimeter figures, so... I uh -huh. um, had to break out the reading glasses for that one, but it was a great game. <laughs> and um, uh, some of his tactical combat, we did some Sino-Japanese War in 1938, where uh, that was an interesting scenario. The, uh, the Japanese were on defense, believe it or not. The Nationalist Chinese were coming at us. And our job was to load a train with the ashes of our comrades for shipment back to mm. uh, Japan. And um, we had, like, every turn, we had so many figures loading crates of ashes onto the train and uh the chinese were trying to stop us from doing that so a lot of times you see scenarios like that it's about loading ammunition or medical supplies or something like that here it was uh you know evacuating you know our, our comrades so uh that was an interesting spin on it uh sadly we lost that game um mm -hmm. although only barely but hey we were also technically playing the bad guy so it's okay if we lost that and a lot of miniatures. Uh, my lid mountain has exploded back into uh, being. I'm usually the kind of guy that tends to be proud of the fact that I don't have a lead mountain. I have uh -huh. one now. I have one now. It was one of those like here's a big cardboard box full of like 50 mints. He's like everything in the everything in the box for 40 bucks. What do you say? And he kind of picked out because he knew like the kind of stuff I liked and stuff I worked with. Sure. So I looked through it and yeah, there's a lot of uh, stuff there that's heavily beat up. I have a crashed Blackhawk now, so uh, I can do Blackhawk oh. down in uh, in, in uh, miniature. There's a crashed hip. Um, some of the vehicles are literally, you know, like people have been watching. I won't belabor the point because people have been watching. Uh, these minis are uh, are definitely like rescues from the pound. Uh, these guys have had a rough mm -hmm. life. 
where you have to like rebuild like all that Ukrainian armor. I needed all new 125 millimeter smoothbores for that. Toothpicks. Where does that do you? Oh, thank yeah. Uh, uh, toothpicks and cardstock to just like rebuild this stuff from scratch. Uh, that's that wow. uh, striker that that uh, striker uh, that, that that remote 50 cal turret they have on those things. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I had to rebuild that from scratch. There's like 35 pieces in that in, in 13 and 15 mil. Um, wow. Well, you know, it's either that or use this terrain as like blown up wrecks or something like that. So, mm -hmm. um, it's pretty cool though. So yeah, I got the paints back out, uh, back on the miniature stable and, uh, very soon, uh, cause we don't want to neglect the rest of our community. We're going to be getting back to, uh, some of our hex encounter stuff, uh, some Panzer leaders coming up. So we're at the 80th anniversary of American America's first ground battles, uh, in the, uh, I say European theater, but really we're, we're still in North Africa. So our first ground battles against the Germans. So we've kind of already passed the defeats, which is fine. We don't need to do those. Um, CD Bouzid, Kesselring Pass, uh, <laughs> all those, uh, very, very bad battles. And now we're getting to, yeah. you know, Patton's revenge, so to speak at El Guitar is coming up. I think March 20th, March 25th, something like that. Late March, uh, 2023. So keep an eye out for that. Very awesome. Fantastic. All right. Chris, what's you been up to? Uh, mostly work. Uh, we had a chance to uh, roll some dice uh, yeah. for our other uh, channel. Um, but uh, that was good. And other than that, work. Work, work, work. Gotcha. Awesome. Marty? All right. So uh, my... Uh, uh, Terrain series at uh, Critical Grind, the local uh, gaming cafe we have, uh, continues. I've got uh, uh, a session coming up uh, on March uh, 12th? Uh, week, yeah, week from tomorrow. Uh, and uh, we're going to do uh, Rocks and Trees. So uh, I've been trying to work out uh, all of the uh, uh, techniques that we are allowed to use in there because this is a place that serves food. I can't use spray mm -hmm. paint. I can't use spray adhesives. Uh, you know, I, I can't use a foam cutter. You know, so uh, I've been working on uh, on what we can do there and how we can do this. Or uh, the last group was five five folks that were in there. So you know, it's just just some nerds that want to hang out and and learn some stuff. Uh, you know, we've got some D and D folks in there. We've got some uh, tabletop wargaming folks that are in there, and they mm -hmm. you know. For the most part, they don't have any experience doing this at all, which is perfect. So they don't know how jacked up I am. And, uh, right. you know, I, I bring this stuff and like, all right, we're going we're gonna to make some things today. So uh, that's that's really what I've uh, spent the majority of my time on uh, in the past uh, couple of weeks is trying to figure out what it is that I can do, as well as I've only got a four hour window to work with. So, you know, what what can we do that will get done or really close to done? Uh, in four yeah. hours, so they've got something to take home. You know, gotcha. Uh, try, trying to figure out drying times and how to speed along uh, drying. Uh, you know, again, we're working in an, an environment that's you know not, you know, the hawk over here where I can pretty much run whatever I want. So the, sure. uh, I, I I think I've got it sorted out or pretty close, uh, as well as you know, uh, I might have to might have to go pick up some more materials because I I blew yeah. through a bunch. Trying to, trying to sort myself out. Sure. I don't see what the problem is. A little bit of primer fussing never hurt anybody's food. It's I mean, fine. Yeah. Just a little bit extra flavor. 
Yeah, who 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 do, who doesn't want to taste uh, butane in their uh, uh, premium, uh, you know, seven dollar coffee and you know uh, their avocado toast or whatever it is she's got going over there? <laughs> right. I'm I'm sure that'll uh, that'll get me invited back. <laughs> so, quick update for me. Uh, obviously, we're getting ready for a big move, but I've been doing uh, mostly historical research, believe it or not. Um, been doing some uh, books on my favorite topic, Rourke's Drift, uh, getting different aspects of that. I watched a new documentary on it and read a research paper that gives a different point of view on Shard and Bromhead, who basically told them they're both incompetent boobs. And it was really the commission, uh, the commissary uh, officer that saved the day. Um, very unpopular opinion, and I don't think he supported in his research. Um, so. Um, that's been an interesting read. And I've also been doing some uh, reading and research on the Battle of Little Bighorn. See a theme here, folks? Um, so oh, yeah. there may be some plays. I have a game. I don't know if I got rid of it when we moved last time or if I still have it, but I do have Custer's with Last and Let Battle of Little Bighorn. So uh, be looking out for those. That, that's pretty much what I've been had time to do is you know research and reading. Um, you would think after all these years that I would have pretty much exhausted the resources for one small battle, you know, that took less than what, 12, 14 hours, um, of Rourke's Drift, but there's just so much out there and, you know, every once in a while the movie pops up and you watch it and you get reinterested in it and, uh, go from there. To be honest with you, I don't think, Jim, maybe you might know one, but I don't think there's a really good movie geared towards the Battle of Little Bighorn. I mean, there's a few out there, but they're kind of over-the-top Hollywood. Uh, yeah, I don't know if one that really fits the bill for, you know, how it really was. So, there's a lot of jingoism out there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know of any, like, pretty pretty decent one. Um, I think the, the semi-recent, what was it, 2004, uh, The Alamo. Uh, with Billy Bob Thornton was by yeah. no means perfect, but definitely a huge step in the right direction. Um, but I haven't seen that kind of movie for um, that I'm aware of uh, for Little Bighorn yet. Yeah. So, because I know our friend Forrest um, from Knuckle Dust Adventures, he's got some new cavalry coming out. It's the Hollywood version, is what he calls them, but he does have more historically accurate stuff. Be interesting to see. Um, what that's out there, you know, something to explore. And that's in 28 mil, but do you do the Battle of Little Bighorn in a smaller scale, obviously? So it'd be interesting to read more about that. But uh, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Marty, do you have news today? I do. Did you not see it in the, the thing? Uh, hold on a minute, because I don't remember just getting a post for it. Uh, it was in uh, the chat last night. Yep. Last oh, night. wait. You did it at two in the morning. At least I got it at two in the morning. Hold on, let me bring it up. No, I would. Oh, there must have been a delay posting. It was like eleven o'clock my time. It would have been like. Oh, that. I was gonna say. Yeah, you, I, you, I, must be, uh, you must be on a, uh, a risk any time if you're doing it at two in the morning. No, uh, I, uh, it was weird. I got it at twelve eighteen. Huh? No, I got it. Yeah. So, all right. Let me uh, just click through this real quick. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, my... that's my time, yeah, so that's weird. it would have been 12 18 years. All right, no, that's yeah, that's, that's right. 
it, it must have taken a while to decide to stick on there then because so uh last night i was out at a uh an event for our, our vfw so uh, i had to wait till i got home to uh put that on because i uh i was yeah. running running hard yesterday to uh keep everything uh on the rails so, i uh taught uh stopped okay. the bleed to a bunch of school nurses and then came home and changed and then shot out there and then came home and got got cha got changed into my jammies and then uh did a quick search make sure uh, there wasn't like some last minute stuff i missed and slapped this up yeah you was in all right you ready yesterday. sir yeah wow you ready right, so let's hit it all right there you go all right so first item up uh some new stuff uh uh for uh flames of war from our good friends over at battlefront there uh, -huh. uh they've got uh if you uh uh, if you want to click on each one of those uh, items uh, under new releases, uh, kind of individually, it'll show them. But that's what I was uh, uh, bringing to it, uh, attention is that there's some uh, some new releases there. We got some. Uh, we got an M4 uh, tank company. There's a uh, a 203 millimeter howitzer that you see now. That's a pretty badass looking model. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. But I you know I've. I'm all about the rule of cool. This thing could have sucked and been the worst thing possible, but man, it looks badass. I don't know yeah. how effective the vehicle, or the the, uh, the the gun was, but there's some awesome footage. Uh, you see, how they they put a little colorized clip I saw above in the scroll, right? In Berlin, oh, right yeah, here? that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a few pieces like that uh, out there on the internet where it's. Yeah, it's for Berlin. It's historically accurate. Yeah. They just rolled this thing up to uh, fortified German positions, and I mean, notice the elevation of the gun. It's yeah. direct that's, fire. Yeah, it's on sights. yeah. I was gonna say yeah. that's a direct fire mode there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somebody's getting a whooping put on them. Somebody didn't feel a thing, right? When that, I mean, that shell landed home. You know I what? Mean, I think I saw that. Uh, you know, laying some uh, fiber cable the other day. Mm. They just aimed it down a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a ditch witch, Chris. Oh, okay. Yeah. Looks like one. So, but uh, yeah, can you imagine a a, a two hundred and three millimeter HE slam in India? <laughs> Woo! Yes. Use those in Panzer Leader. I tell you what, uh, my Soviet force is pretty complete, but I don't have any of those two hundred threes yet in fifteen mil. Well, new release. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, they you know, it's amazing. They keep coming out with stuff. It just shows you how much equipment and things were. During World War II, that the, after all the years that Battlefront's been doing this, they're able to still make new releases. Right. So look at that. That's not. That's a huge ass mortar. That's a hundred sixty. That's what a one hundred sixty. Yep, one hundred sixty yeah. millimeter mortar. So you get uh, and it, and you get four mortars in uh, with the crew uh, as well as uh, the bases. Uh, you know, in this kit. So. You know, uh, it's a again, it's a nice look. At, hey, my hey. best friend's back. Yep, the years. Good morning. We're just talking about uh, some new releases here from Battlefront. So, uh, yeah, 160 millimeter mortar, and you know, uh, you uh, you start getting into what's the difference between a mortar and a howitzer, or whatnot. Because I'm looking at this and I'm like, that was bigger than your gun. It is. I mean, you know, I I was mm -hmm. on a 105 millimeter uh, howitzer. I'm like. That thing's big. That thing's yeah. big. <laughs> I, I know one difference. This never shot a McDonald's. Uh, prove it. You don't know that. <laughs> Are howitzers okay. usually rifled? 
Uh, they are, and they and they have a recoil system on them. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's, that might be that's, one. That's the big difference. Okay. You know, um, yeah, the so uh, when the Germans went into Russia, they didn't even have like a, their famous or infamous their 120 millimeter mortar. Uh, they only had the, the five centimeter GW 34 or whatever, and their their eight centimeter mortar. And then uh, they captured some 120s from the Russians because the Russians were using the 120s. The Germans were like, "This is such a good, yeah, we're going to start making these." And by then, the Russians were making 160s and 210s and yeah, a lot crazy. of mortars, a lot of mortars on the Eastern Front. Uh, to your point, Bill, um, I've seen in like third edition Battlefront, they were down to stuff like, here's a certain version of the DWK, uh, I'm sorry, DUKW amphibious truck or whatever that crossed the mm -hmm. line on March 9th, 1945. They've literally used it once. It saw two hours of service in all of World War II. Yeah. They really were at the bottom of the barrel as yeah. far as, you know, metals and resins like they used to make on the Western Front. I think now they're pivoting. Yeah. We're seeing here a lot more to the Eastern Front and a lot more plastics. Um, it's like it's 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 refreshing the pile, and um, I'm really happy to see uh, all those Shermans and Soviet markings. Huge, yeah. not a huge, but at least probably ten to fifteen percent, if not twenty percent especially near the end of the war. Fifth Guards Tank, uh, Fifth Tank Army that liberated Vienna was entirely fit army, not division, not corps, not brigade. The Fifth uh, Tank Army that liberated Vienna in April of 45 was entirely kitted out with, uh, with Sherman's. Wow. So, yeah, a lot of them. Definitely a lot. Yeah. Of them. All right, Jim. So what's the deal with this bed spring armor? This was a um, misguided attempt that Soviet tank crews were trying to use to... Um, defeat uh the panzer uh the panzer faust specifically so the panzer faust um we've probably seen a video of it late war german infantry anti-tank weapon is probably about that long it has like a hundred and i can't remember how big the warhead is that's like this huge uh sort of a teapot on the end of it it's basically they're like, like an early version of a law uh one fire you throw the tube away it's not like the panzer shrek which was basically an improvement of our bazooka reloadable you can keep firing more rounds out of it this was a 12 year old kid can use it a 45 50 60 year old man can use it it's like the volkstrom kind of a weapon uh one fire you had to be like really close to even have a uh -huh. hole in anything like within 50 meters the official range is like 200 meters that's crap you had to uh, be uh, yeah you weren't hitting anything at 200 meters with those. Yeah, you had to be point blank, and it was a shape charge warhead. And so um, the Germans, because this thing was so cheap, uh, and they were, again, rolling out everybody between the age of 12 and 60 by this point. Um, even 12-year-old kids were knocking out, like, platoons of T-34s with this thing. Wow. And the Russians were taking incredible tank losses. A lot of people like to complain, like, oh, we should have taken Berlin. You know, Patton was crying. We should have taken Berlin. Soviets dropped 300,000 dead just taking that one town that almost would have doubled our entire loss of world war two. We lost 401 dead, 401,000 dead in all of world war two. It would have been 700,000 if we won for Berlin, probably we may not have taken as yeah. many as the, as, as the, as the Russians, but that was a tough battle. The Germans were not yeah. playing around and um, they were taking so many losses out of the Soviets. They look, well, 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 we don't have any spaced armor. Like the Germans had like their Schutzen that we see on all their Stugs and late model Mark IVs and stuff. So Soviet tank crews started to raid German houses for these bed springs in box mattresses and stuff like that. And the idea was hopefully it'll fire off that shape charge warhead six inches away from the, the armor plate. It, mm. it didn't work. Um, 
is absolutely ineffective. But it was historically there. You do see like hundreds of uh, Soviet tanks um, fitted out with this stuff. It's an interesting addition to your force. I just hope the rules don't make them effective because history shows it didn't work. Gotcha. Uh, it, it, it's uh, it's an early version of uh, what we saw, uh, particularly in Afghanistan, when we were wrapping strikers in uh, RPG cages. Yeah. Except, except that wasn't bed spring. That was all solid steel. And that was the uh, pre-detonate RPGs primarily. Mm -hmm. That's the short version. Yeah, that, that's the way I should have said it. Long story short, listen to Marty. Oh, um, hold, hold on, on. I got to get hold my up. shot glass. <laughs> there you go. All right. So uh, last new release that they're showing in the homepage is the gaming set, uh, if you're a Soviet person. But, you know. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, they've got, the, uh, you know, some stuff to – you know, help you play your play your Soviets there. It's a bunch of tokens and, and whatnot. Uh, so you get 20 gaming tokens, you get some dice, you get some objective tokens. Uh, they you put said. it in a nice, nice, fancy little collectible tin, you know, all that jazz. Yeah. So, so it doesn't you. come with an ISU 152. It says it right there on the tin. <laughs> that, that, I, I, that's like my favorite World War II vehicle right there, the ISU 152. No. You will never find a more delightfully inelegant. There's an inelegance in its elegance, or yeah. reverse that. There's an elegance. So, it's a huge box with 152 so. millimeter direct fire assault howitzer on there. So ugly, it's beautiful. Batteries of these and Panzer Leader or Panzer Blitz, and you'll, you'll you'll fall in love with them too. Kind of like the uh, A10. A little, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's so not made to be pretty, but it, it gets the job done. So yeah, no, no models in there. Sorry, buddy, but uh, you know, a bunch of tokens and whatnot uh, for you to, uh, you know, be able to uh, enhance your gameplay. Nice. You got a battery of ISU one fifty two. You gonna enhance your gameplay? You're gonna start winning a lot of games all of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, all right. Uh, what you got next, Marty? So uh, so next up, uh, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out. Salute's coming up. Fiftieth anniversary. Yes, it is. Salute. Uh, it's uh, going to be on Saturday, April 22nd uh, at the uh, Excel Center in London. Uh, they're super jazzed about it being the 50th anniversary as well. They should. Yes. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it, essentially it's the same deal as they've been doing recently, except more and better. You know, so they're mm -hmm. going to have they're going to have traders uh, said they're gonna have, they have more than 90 games to play this year. Uh, wow. They're going to. Have painting competition. Uh, you can get a goodie bag. You know, get a little swag bag that's got uh, a unique figure in it for the first four thousand that are through the door. Uh, yeah, you can uh, you know follow the follow the club or go to their uh, ticket website. Uh, and to get to the ticket website, go to the club. Just look at just Google Salute Fifty. That'll take you to uh, the club's page here, and then there's a link to get tickets. Tickets are twelve pounds for general admission. Yeah. I mean, it, it's. It's that's, a good day. It's it's that, a very good day, yeah. And that's Rasmus, super super reasonable. I mean, oh, it's very reasonable. I mean, it's it's literally a giant shopping day for the most part. Um, you know, because pretty much anybody who's in war gaming, uh, company wise, attends for the most part. Every once in a while, you see one or two that doesn't. But, um, but yeah, that's where Rasmus and I and Don met for I think the first time, and we you know. We had pub night and all that. It was a good time. Um, I would love to get back there, hopefully, maybe next year. I don't know. We'll see. But 
It's a shame say, that this year's I 50, I, I would have lost the guy on the 50th one. but Right? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think the 50th's in the cards for you, buddy, because you're going to be, like, still unpacking your house. Yeah, exactly. So, speaking what of conventions, April... Sorry. Oh, it's April 22nd. Ahead, okay, yeah. April 22. Yeah, so... Um, Are you coming up here for... Convention, uh... yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. No. Sounds like you're going to say it. Say it. Uh... There's Adepticon coming up at the end of March. Um, depending on how our schedules, Don and I might be able to uh, meet up with the guys and attend Adepticon at least for the weekend. Uh, hopefully we can get some coverage in. So we'll know more after next week or so once we're up in Tennessee and settled in. But um, that's a possibility. So be on the lookout for that. But the big the big Wargaming convention in the States is at the end of March. And then, of course, if you're into historical, Historicon is in July. So uh, we'll see about that as well. But, yeah. So if you haven't been to Salute and you have an opportunity to go to Salute, you got to go to Salute. It, it, it is a blast. Um, it is, if you love war, tabletop Wargaming, um, it's it's really awesome time. It really is. So it's it's very enjoyable. It'll. I think the next time that we attend, it's going to be a little different. It might be a little sad in some aspects because some of the guys, uh, companies, and friends that we have, no longer really in the business per se. Right. So, it'll definitely feel a little different. But it's still a good time, guys. If you can get there and for twelve pounds, well, which is you know what amazes dollars. What what amazes know, me is that they do this all in one day. One day, literally. I mean, if you go back to Beast of War, we did a time-lapse video of them setting up and tearing down. Uh, they are allowed in Friday afternoon, late afternoon, and they have to be, I think, by 7, right, Dawn? 7 or 8 o'clock at night. So they've got like four or five hours max to set up, and then it opens at 10 in the morning. It ends at 5, and then they have to be out by 7. Yeah, yeah, so they literally out. have two hours yeah. to tear down. Yeah, pack so, your crap and go. I mean, that's... Yeah. Woo! <laughs> So it, it's a good time. It's a good. All right. I What's like what next, Tough Year uh, said about uh, salute. It's it's a bit people-y. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, even though they have it in the Excel Center, which is this huge convention center, um, especially the queue before they open, it's it's packed. You know, it's really packed. Uh, if you're not a close quarters person, I can understand that being a little uncomfortable. But believe me, it's nowhere near Gen Con's uh, mess. You know, the, the, the population, people, crowds of Gen Con, uh, Salute doesn't compare that when you can't even really move through aisles. I don't know how the fire department in Indianapolis lets, you know, I, I think the fire marshal would have a seizure if he was actually in there at peak time because you can barely move. So, uh, all right, just, let's move on to your next one, sir. Let me bring it up a, for you. They just send the, uh, the, the Indy Fire Command a case of scotch and make sure they drink it the night before and. All right. What you That's got for fine. us? We'll go to Vietnam. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So uh, this is a company that actually I was not familiar with, uh, and I, uh -huh. I was just kind of surfing around. Uh -huh. But uh, oh, these look good. It's it's a uh, yeah right. So it's a Kickstarter from uh, uh, 3D Breed Miniatures. Name of the company. They've done a bunch of other ones. They're they're not new. Uh -huh. uh, new to me. I wasn't familiar with them, but. I might be getting familiar with them, <laughs> you know. So all all of the the models, everything that you see here in that that picture that's up now, uh, yeah. Models, miniatures, terrain, everything. Uh, they're all scaled to uh, 
28 and 15 millimeter, which mm-hmm. means you don't have to scale it up or down. Literally, it's got a 28 millimeter version, uh, a 28 millimeter supported, a 28 millimeter unsupported, and a 15 millimeter yep. uh, version. Those all all yep. those files come with the Kickstarter, so you don't have to well, scale have it up or down. One complaint. You know, so well, you see the Huey in there? That's a B model. They didn't use a lot of B models after a certain year. So depending on what, because I, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the B model, but a B model is very small. The, as you can see, it's yeah, a one yeah, it's, window back it's, door. It's a very small. Most of the aircraft that they used for like, you know, uh, what was the 101st big uh, uh, assault? Um they make movies about it all the time. But um, those were, you know, C models, G model, you know, on up. So those are the bigger extended fuselage that hold, theoretically can hold a platoon. Or squad, sorry, not platoon, squad. squad. Yeah. Um, and, but they found out in reality, it was a struggle for a Huey to carry a squad in the heat because of the air, you know, and the altitude, the hotter yeah. it is, it's harder to lift, right? You get, get less lift. Um, but that's what they went to those models, not the B model. The B models, like, you know, you get in the monogram, the Huey Hawk, you know, with the big gun on the nose and the rocket launchers and all that crap. Um, you know, so I would love to see a, yeah, uh, you know, a D model or so. And, and like, like the kits we got from, Rubicon, which we'll do an unboxing at some point. Um, but it still, I mean, it, it, yep. it at least it puts a helicopter on the table. Um, yeah, how about it? And it's, you know, uh, it's about 48 bucks for the, uh, yeah. uh, for the pledge on that. Yeah. Uh, there's so, a bunch of, bunch of stretch, uh, stuff in there as well, but yeah, you get a, you get a boatload of stuff. I mean, you know, you might think that it's a, it's a little pricey. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you get a one, one, three, you know, you get a, uh, yeah. you get a little HQ squad, you get a rifle squad, uh, you get the Huey, you get uh, some MVA armor. It looks you like you get a, yeah, you get an MVA, uh, uh, command BTR squad. 15. They get a BTR, you get a rifleman squad. Uh, you got an yeah. anti-air gun there. So, I mean, you know, and the nice thing about it being 3d printing is make as many of those things as you want, you know? So I, you know, there's there's some good value there, I think. Plus, like I said, there's a whole boatload of uh, uh, stretch goals yeah. uh, that they've got there. So, you know, uh, so you play Vietnam be, and you got access to a 3D printer, and this is something to look at. Yeah. So another interesting thing is um, oh, you have a fan there, Jim. It's still in here. Shout out to Jim's T-shirt today. His T-shirt. <laughs> oh, I have a fan. I thought yeah, you said like, there's like a fan in the background, like blowing up my oh, mic. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, been there, destroyed that. Stone Cold Steve Austin from back yeah. in the day. <laughs> so it, it'll be interesting to cool. see these. I wonder if they provide a sample print. You know, you can print. Because uh, if you scroll up, bring, I believe this they... Is, do they? Uh, somewhere in here, they did have a sample print, yeah. I, okay. If I recall, well, the only reason I say that is I was looking at this. Oh, guy. right there, you just went past it. That is, I think that is the sample oh. print. Okay, uh, it'd be interesting to print this. Here's why: he looks a little squatty. He almost looks like a hobbit. 
in in uh, Nam gear. Me. Who got and swallowed? Gym, but hey, who that, else yeah. do you put down in the tunnels? But <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see. Doesn't he look a little squat? You know, compact. Yeah, yeah so, a little, little, and, little bit. And with those arms, that's like arms. more of a dwarf. Yeah, a dwarf. That's probably look at his arms. So interesting. Uh, like I said. It's hard to judge from this until you actually print one yourself and take a look at it. But I do like this though. This this drew my this the right bust. Here. Yeah. Uh, why does it keep bringing up Instagram? Um, this bust. I would love to. That looks like a really good thing to paint. So and you can scale that as you'd like. So. Well, yeah. Subscribe to the if newsletter you and you get it for free. There you go. You have a bust of certain sitrep. Yeah. What is this? 3D Breed is the name of the company? Yeah. For this Kickstarter? Three, three, okay. Yeah, three, 3D Breed Miniatures. All right. Very cool. All right. Any other news pieces that you can think of, Marty? That That's all I, I threw up there for today. So that way yeah. I didn't, didn't want know, to be honest with you. I really haven't seen too much big news come out recently. Um. It, you know, this time of year, it gets a little slow because everybody's ramping up for conventions. So, you know, whatever they're producing and stuff uh, has already been done. But then once convention season really goes into full swing, you'll start seeing big announcements, you know, as they bring out their convention, you know, exclusives and things like that. So yeah. maybe we'll yeah, get I'd some uh, interviews time. coming up in Adepticon. Yeah. So, all right. Historical crossovers. It's an interesting prospect because I keep getting a thing about a game, and I'm going to try and bring it up here. Uh, where is it? It's The book is by Osprey Publishing. Uh, let me share the screen with you guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Silver Bayonet. That was the first thing I was going to bring up. Okay, go ahead, Jim. You got the no, background for it, bud. Uh, I, I just I've, I've heard a lot about it. It's uh, it's like it says right there, a war game of Napoleonic Gothic horror. So yeah. they took um, not just zombies, but I think there's also some uh, like vampires and werewolves in there, uh, stuff like that. And um, which is interesting because I think the original Frankenstein novel by Mary Shelley was published eight. Oh God, um, someone help me out here in the chat. Early 1800s somewhere. Yeah. So right around uh, Napoleonic time, I actually have to Google that up uh, just so I don't make an ass of myself here. It's like 1810, 1815. Uh, I'll verify that in a second. But it's an interesting um, sort of a uh, congruence where you would have. 1818. 1818. Okay. All right. So we, yeah, pretty close. Uh, Borderloo was 1815. So right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of the almost the like Napoleonic period, um, a narrow miss there. Yeah, and, yeah, it's 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 a neat idea. Uh, I mean, I haven't tried it or seen it play, but yeah, I've definitely heard a lot about it. And I think um, one of the reasons they try to do that is a lot of people have Napoleonic figures, and they don't have these Napoleonic figures, but they're 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 trying to mm. sort of draw in like, oh, I'm really into like you know horror stuff or you know pull horror weird that kind of stuff like that oh the people at the club they all play uh napoleonics 
so I don't really have a place there or vice versa. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of leverage what's already out there in the community as far as, uh, you know, who has the armies, who has the miniatures, who's interested in certain areas and, you know, sort of stir up the pot a little bit. Yeah. It, I have mixed feelings on this. Joseph McCullough is the one who wrote the rules. If you don't know who he is, he's the one, he's the rules writer behind Frost Grave and those series of books. Um, very prolific uh, rules writer for Osprey. Does excellent games. Frostgrave is a great game. Um, does he do Rangers of Shadow Deep too? Can't remember if he's the creator of that one. Osprey's well, were doing a lot of this. And, they had what was like Castles in the Sky with like flying battleships. Yeah. Recently, so um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, damn Tuffy years so, on it. Yeah. Yeah. Tuffy years going to print up that sample. And let us know about it. <laughs> Um, but my thing is, is he thinking or is he stuck? All right, there oh, we go. Are you thinking? Again. No worries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Am I back? There we are. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the other thing is it, it draws in a new crowd, you know, those who are not necessarily historical war gamers, but there is another game out there where it's like zombies of Stalingrad. You know, you play the Battle of Stalingrad, but you have to deal with zombies now. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I think the zombies genre is played out. I think I've said this before, but and you were I, right, and you're right now. It's I'm amazed people still make zombie content. Yeah, it, I don't know. I guess there are some things I don't. You know, I, I say this. I don't think there there are some things you should mix a genre with. But then I I play Dust 1947, right? Which is Weird World War II. So, I don't know. I guess... And, and Napoleonic, <laughs> Yeah. And Napoleonic... <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, more power to you if, if it's something... If it gets new players into playing a game, that's cool. And it looks like it's a skirmish game. It's not a mass battles game, obviously, by looking at these guys. Um, so I've, hey, I've had a lot of success with I've had a lot of success with this kind of thing. Although yeah. never with war games, only with role playing games. We yeah. did a, a, a long ago uh, campaign. We called it World in Flames. We kind of stole the name, uh, which was pretty much uh, Mage the Ascent in the era of World War Two. You were like a suit, like behind the back door of MI6, there was another door, and behind that, there was another door, and behind that, there was another door. Yeah. This is the secret, secret stuff. And of course, the Germans had the, had a, I can't remember what we called them, like Nachtjägers or something. It's basically like the supernatural uh, branch of the intelligence service. So we've done it. We've done like Werewolf in the American Revolution. We've done Werewolf in the American Civil War. Um, it's fun once in a while. It does dilute yeah. and disrespect the history a little. Um, cause all of a sudden there's monsters in it now. I mean, we've all seen like, you know, a Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter. I mean, it's, oh yeah, it, yeah. it kind of takes a leak on history a little bit. It's, it's, it's a little annoying, but if you're doing it in a, in, in if, if it's the kind of sitting where everyone already kind of knows, we're just going to do this like a couple of times, it'll be fun. I get, that's why I think it fits better in a role-playing aspect. Uh, -huh. um, cause I think role-playing is a little bit more of, of a loose form, uh, kind of gaming, which makes it, you know, I'm not trying to, to, to put it down or anything. 
but it's oh it's, no, um, I, and I don't want anybody to take it that way, but uh, right, you know, it's yeah, uh, I don't. It's it's just it's hard for me, but then again, I play dust, right? So. Yeah. I, I guess well, I, don't know. I guess I hold a little more reverence for Napoleonic um, than some of the other games. You know, that means in that, me, in that, in that mage campaign. This in is that my mage personal preference, I guess. In that mage campaign, I mean, we, this was like 15 years ago, so this is before this other thing came out. In that mage campaign, our agents wound up working with the Soviets because they were our allies by that point. And uh, they uh -huh. wound up in Stalingrad, where that much killing and that much death in such a concentrated area awoke something, and the dead started coming back to life. So we've literally done zombies in Stalingrad before. And um, again, it was fun for an afternoon, sort of. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know if it was something that I would do, you know, as like a campaign, like going forward. Sure. And I think maybe that's the point, is it gives you a little break from the seriousness of historical gaming, because it Truth be told, if historical gaming is fun, or otherwise we wouldn't do it, but there is a, a little bit of a seriousness to make sure you've got the units correct. Uh, you know, if you're really into the timeline, what units were appropriate for the timeline and the battles you're fighting, and you know, whatnot. So, it does provide a little bit of a. Yeah, you don't have to worry so much that, about order so. of battle stuff. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, you're You're resurrecting your troops. Well, I don't know. Exactly. There are sources out there for how many support weapons were with a vampire squad. For so you, have to be, you have to look that up and be careful. How many stakes? How many silver bullets? Yeah, well, yeah, uh, funny. So your vampire talk, hunter. Yes. So let's talk about our uh, probably one of our favorite games uh, that takes a step off to the wild side, and that is Dust 1947. This picture here is from Babylon. <laughs> The infamous Babylon Kickstarter, but this is Dust 1947. Um, great game. The models are awesome. Uh, they're very well done. I, I, you know, there was a few that uh, I guess there were some quality production issues. Um, oh, that's a good point, Tuffy Ears. So Tuffy Ears just posted Team Yankee fits into this category, doesn't it? Does it though? Uh, sort is of it a crossover. It, it's more of to be honest with you, tough years. I would probably say no, history. and the only reason I say no is because the four people you see on your screen right here, at some point in their careers in the military, did war games of what ifs in real life, right? Soviet. I can remember when I went into basic training, we had a whole class on identification of Soviet uh, <laughs> armor and aircraft. Uh, yeah, I, I think I still have the playing card someplace. Hated yeah, those I, you know what? I gave my playing cards to John Lyons of, uh, you know, over in Ireland. So, uh, I, I would say Team Yankee is more of the what if because we really were facing each other at some point and saying, if you come across so, this line, we're going to pound you, and vice versa. So, so Team Yankee is truly war gaming in in the sense yeah. of like when we're going through the military decision making process, and you have to war game what you believe the enemy is going to do based on you know, their, their capabilities and doctrine and da, 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 da. And they exactly. just codified it into, uh, into a game. I mean, that's, yeah. 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 Turns well, out all the, all the S2 nerds should be all over this. Yep. The, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, and Marty knows him as well. Um, oh, he was boy. reading the book, uh, team Yankee 
while on the same tank in the same unit that the okay. main was that was uh bounder yeah and he's like and he was actually out on he was uh what do they call it at the time where where they would take turns being deployed to the border talking about reforger well no he was he was uh, in germany but then they would rotate units up at the i'm pretty sure we just called that guard duty yeah put him on the line yeah he was up on the line line. he was on the line folder gap reading the book and he's like which is another interesting point i'm gonna go down the rabbit hole because i know jim's gonna bring it up whenever you say pull the gap the big belief is pull the gap was a ploy and that's not really where they were going to come through my understanding is that if they were going to invade, they were going to go north and cut across and swing around because it wasn't as heavily defended because the Americans were in the south in the Fold the Gap area. And you had NATO, I think it was British, Danish, whatever, not whatever up there on the north side. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jim. Uh, but... We literally had this on uh, this Wednesday's la- um, live stream. <laughs> uh, John Sowerby what asked. Segue, huh? Yeah, John Sowerby was getting was uh, he's getting ready for uh, Recon. That's a small convention we have coming up here in Orlando, and he was going to be playing some Seven Days to the River Rhine, uh, early '80s, so probably M60s versus. He wasn't sure if it was going to be T80s or T64s, so he was like, "Where were the T80s?" And I said, "Oh, well, since you asked, got a sheet of tin paper out and a black marker and literally drew a map of West Germany." Um, mm-hmm. So there, there's two basic ideas. I mean, we'll never know because it never happened. Thank God. Right. Uh, that that was one of the plans that we were afraid that Soviets were going to do was to come through the so-called Fulda Gap. It's kind of through the, the frankfurt Würzburg uh, corridor. Um, it's pretty unlikely. Uh, it's probably 90% more accurate, uh, Bill, than what you were saying. The main strike was going to come to the north. And it wasn't that the forces up there were uh, like Northag versus Sentag. Um, were you know weaker or anything? There was one German corps, the Belgians, the Netherlands, British Army of the Rhine, and um, I mean it was they were pretty solid units. Uh, it's just the terrain. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, southern Germany is very mountainous, and there's a lot of forests down there. Up north, it starts to open up a great deal, and uh, until you get further to the west, uh, where there's a lot of water, and you can start to intentionally flood a lot of the countryside to slow an enemy down. But by that point, you've lost the war anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah, as far as the whole folder gap thing, I think the 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 folder gap holds a big uh, place in our collective memory here in the states, because again, Sentag, you've got fifth uh, corps and seventh corps, and then uh, at least one German corps, I think second and third, possibly two German corps. That's pretty much what makes up Sentag. And in our little neck of the woods, we're like, look, if the Soviets do come at us specifically, this is where they're coming. Um, because it yeah. drives towards one of the biggest cities. It outflanks Nuremberg. We did this in World War 2.5 like a hundred times, um, and yeah, it's 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 a it's a dangerous spot. Um, but you can only really put like a corps through there, or for the Soviets, an army. You can really only put like three or four divisions, maybe five through there. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas that much bigger area from Castle North up towards Hanover, uh, you've got like. 20th tank was there. Uh, 2nd Guards tank was there. 20th Army was there. 3rd Shock. Um, 8th Guards Army was was coming down a little bit more towards us. But the whole group of Soviet forces in Germany uh, could have easily steamrolled across that. And uh, that was probably where, if it had happened. We have, we I have the, the, the Soviet maps. 
that were declassified during that brief Yeltsin window uh, between the fall of the Soviet Union and the rise of Putin, pretty much the 90s, where Soviet archives were were kind of opened up. I've got them. I published them uh, in some article series, uh-huh. uh, up to and including these big nuclear mushroom clouds at places like you know um, Antwerp, um, Rotterdam, uh, Hanover, Bremerhaven, all those North Sea ports. The first the first 20 minutes, they were all going to be nuked out of existence. Mm-hmm. Um, to cut off American and British reinforcements from getting back into Germany. Because once you shut down those ports, where are they coming in through? Right. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely the most. And those big slashes of blue arrows, like, you know, the Soviets make their maps in blue for some reason. Um, we always draw them in red. Uh, they're coming right across that North German plane that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, so, and, and yeah. The other, Interesting. while the, the main attack might be coming through the top, it's not like there won't be no battle up down in the folds of gap. I mean, they still got to keep us from. Oh, you have to. Yeah, yeah, my opinion. My opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, they yeah, have to my opinion is either going to do pincers or the fold of gap was a feint and the, and try and draw everybody there and then come around the north. That's but my opinion. You have four yeah. NATO core in Sentag. If you don't lock them in place and you yep. get your big victory in the north, your your whole left wing is going to be wide open from the south. So they were definitely, uh, to Chris's point, you're definitely going to have to engage Sentag and lock it in place. Yeah. Then you get don't into day four, four, five, and six of the war, like the second half of that first week. It depends on how much ground the Soviets have made and what the West German government's doing. Again, there's a lot of debate on this. Ralph Peters with Red Army has the, the German government basically give up halfway through day three. Um, others like Tom Clancy, who didn't do such a good job with this, uh, has the war last into day 36. I don't know where he got that idea, but basically once the war gets to that second half, it's how well the Soviets are doing in the north. Are the Americans uh-huh. out them from the south or are they outflanking us from the north? Have they reached the Rhine, pivoted to the south, and are now cutting down through Stuttgart and heading down toward the Swiss and Austrian borders? Um, It's just how, who's more operational? And by then, who knows? Have nukes cooked off yet? Who's giving up? Who's on on the big red phones to who? And it becomes almost impossible to predict what's going on at that point. Yeah, most definitely. So, uh, getting back, so there's death which if you guys have not played that, there's two ways to play DOS. You can play it in the grid version, which it's most famous for, and you can play it in the free version, which is measuring, just like any other miniatures game. Um, the miniatures, again, are really good. Uh, they take historical context and expand upon it in this World World War. There is a second game out there that isn't as well-known, at least maybe here in the U.S., uh, might be more well-known in Europe and the UK, and that's Conflict 47, which to me, when I first saw it, looked like an offshoot of dust, because I first saw it in uh, Salute years ago uh, when they premiered it, and it used to be by a different... Warlord bought the rights for it and the production for it. I can't remember the name of the company that actually did it, um, but they are a little bit more historically accurate in some aspects than dust is. Oh, yes, they have walkers have better and equipment. And all that. So, but like the infantry were like infantry, you know. Um, all right, he's st- he's not talking now. Now I get to put word. The infantry are like infantry. Da da da. Yeah, I didn't know. I thought he was just stopping to yeah. read all the stuff on the right. Oh yeah. All right, guys. You know, I, I don't know why. 
I, it's it's my internet down here. I keep getting these connection issues, but um, but yeah, it's just word bolt action. So um, yeah, but yeah, and incursion uh, is another uh, World War Two uh, weird World War Two game. Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, currently out of production, but uh, allegedly uh, being resurrected and coming back in, I believe. Yeah. So. Clockwork Goblin. Yeah, last build again. Was that another yeah. system? <coughs> All right. I would postulate that a huge, I mean, not to, y'all are going to groan when I bring this up, but a huge, I would say at least 50% of Warhammer 40K is a crossover. Oh, no. Oh. You said groan. A lot, a lot of that, a lot of that is World War II. In, in a, yeah. In a, yeah. A new box. A lot of that is World War Two in a new but, box. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think you, you have hit the head, and we've kind of talked about that before, Jim. I mean, yeah. it's kind, kind of weird when you compare, uh, you know, some, some of the, uh, some of the scenarios uh, and the lore to, oh, I don't know, history. What, what was the game? This was uh, there was a table of this. Chip Brenner was playing this at Historicon 2019. Um, Supernatural Vietnam, Blazing Sun, or something like oh, that. Uh, Black Sun. Black Sun. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So again, um, I thought that one was kind of interesting because it wasn't vampires, werewolves, and zombies. Oh my! Uh, because of clearly like where it took place, um, mm -hmm. you brought in uh, like the cultural heritage, myths, and legends from a whole different part of the world. So you had like like Bakimono and, and God knows what, all this stuff from um, some more Eastern cultures, as far as like what kind of monsters and, and, you know, creatures that you would run across. Hey, excuse my ignorance. What's a PTO version? Pacific theater of operations. Oh, okay. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't get my head wrapped around the whole pay time off thing. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, their, their current <laughs> version their current version is uh is the european theater okay so. which reminds yep. me one of these days talk about crossovers and weird stuff i gotta get panzer leader ato on the table so everyone knows eto and pto panzer leader ato was something that uh some friends of mine came up with was what if part of world war ii took place in the continental united states and you have like you know divisions maneuvering through Tennessee and Virginia and all these old Civil War battlefields, except now with uh -huh. Panthers and Shermans and Tigers and stuff. It's a weird timeline. It starts back in the Civil War um, in order to make America susceptible to this kind of thing. It's kind of like what we did with uh, uh, Battlefield America with the invasion, like the Red Dawn in Florida. Uh, in order to make that even close to possible, you have to go back like at least fifty years and change a lot. Uh, in order to um, soften up history to where what you're presenting is even possible. We did it even with Team sure. Yankee at, uh, at Beast of War. We had to rewrite the end of World War II in order to make the 1980s unfold the way they wanted to uh, for that campaign. So um, so to, to Tuffy Ears' point, is Team Yankee a, a crossover game? Um, I 95% agree with you guys. I don't think it is. It's, it's alternate history. Um, but is that crossing over with science fiction? Um, science, yeah. science fiction postulates, you know, timelines and, and alternate universes and who knows what. Uh, I've built, uh, actually, I won a golden button for um, building German and Soviet battle mechs in Team Yankee colors at Team Yankee scale. So my battle mech is like that tall. Uh, 
if it's an alternate timeline, it's an alternate timeline. Uh, let's you know one of these days make up rules for it and put a, a stupid you know battle mech on a team Yankee table, see how it holds up against uh, leopard twos. Um, <laughs> so the, the the big one that we often hear is um, like horror, like with Black Sun, Silver Bayonet, etc. Horror uh-huh. or pulp horror, weird and historical. Um, science fiction and historical can get uh, can get crossed over as well. I think that's less of a crossover, more of an influence. I don't know. Like a lot of future or science fiction universes like we were talking about are heavily influenced by historical. I don't know if you would call that a crossover game or as crossover elements. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I think anything that's outside of the, the, uh, historical books would be considered crossover, you know, in some aspect. If it's tough, you know, tough years has my fleet, my, 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 my fleet historical, my fleet for dark star is that a crossover? <laughs> um, dark star <laughs> is basically world war two well, in space. So uh, yeah, there's a little bit of crossover there as well. Yeah. Oh, Bresmus brings up a good point. Supernatural versus plausible. Uh, that's, that's, there you go. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it. I think. Yeah, and uh, Team Yankee can be used in a lot of historical scenarios. So Most I don't definitely. use the game system, but I use the figures for Gulf War, uh, 2003 Iraqi Freedom stuff, even more <laughs> recent. Yeah. Awesome. Oh yeah, tough. So, tough uh, years brought up another uh, one, Octoon Octoon Cthulhu. Yeah, there's yeah. another system. Yep. You're basically yeah. playing. Um, um, oh God, go for it! I can't. It's suddenly blank. Hellboy. You're basically playing Hellboy at that point. Uh, yeah, except with Lovecraftian uh, characters. Yeah. Um, so. well, yeah, exactly. Like I said, Hellboy. Hellboy's yeah. like pretty much, I'll borrow this, Mr. You know, H. Nice, she wells. Um, yeah. Mr. Lovecraft, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Very cool. All right. She brought that up. Now I want to play it. Damn it. Do I have it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've you're, seen it you're a bunch of your hobby room like you were looking for it on the shelf. I'm like, oh, I know man. it's here somewhere. I I wanted that game. I don't know. Well, I also, you'll be at uh, Adepticon, so. Well, so I kind of got off on uh, a Lovecraftian uh, kick. One, because of Mythos, because I got Gaz's game, and I'm, I'm painting that up because I want to play it. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know, I don't really know that much about uh, – about all the Lovecraftian stuff, you know, the books I've That's read was a, a thousand de- was a thousand years. Yeah, so don't he is one twisted dude. Th- there's a there's a there's a YouTube channel that essentially has read every book that has been published and made it into a video. There's not no like uh, you know, it's just like a, a picture. Uh, but then there's voiceover of someone reading the book. Yeah, I'm like I don't know, four hundred hours into that. So <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's good to put on like when I'm painting or you know working at the the hobby desk here. Just put on, let it run in the background. Yeah, there's not that much he wrote because I mean I won't say on because he's in real life he's a very controversial figure. He had some very very weird well, views. Let's just put I'll it that way. Um, Lovecraft himself. I mean, never mind what he wrote. Like in real life, his views were. <laughs> They, they haven't right. aged well. Let's just put it that way. But he right, died relatively yeah. young, so he didn't write that much. Um, I mean, he wrote a lot when he was around, but unfortunately his his body of work isn't as big as it could have been. 
Um, now, once you get into what was influenced by Lovecraft, oh yeah, man, and that's that's like half the Library of Congress. Yeah, <laughs> huge. Yeah, once it once it goes from Lovecraft to Lovecraftian, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Woo! It's yeah. uh, out of control. And uh, World War II, yes, Horror Babble is the uh, is the page that I uh, that I listen to for that stuff. But uh, you know, and you know, to Jim, to your point. So you know, I I found the found this page that has uh, has his works all basically read back to back to back to back to back. Go yeah. ahead and put go ahead and put that in your YouTube uh, uh, algorithm. And now I get all these other Lovecraftian things in there. You're on a yeah. list now, Marty. Uh, I, I am. <laughs> like it, it keeps popping up, and I'm like. Well, that one's only 40 minutes long. I could squeeze that in. The Dark Father has been awakened <laughs> to your presence. Oh, man, I'm telling you. I'll send his to you soon. <laughs> I got a two-acre pond in my backyard. I keep waiting for stuff <laughs> to start walking out of it. It's, um, there you go. I don't know. Your dogs will eat it. Don't worry about it. Uh, not uh, that Either the dogs will uh, will defend me or the dogs will be bait and be munched up, <laughs> depending on which monster shows up, according to what I've seen so far. And I've only yeah. got two of them. This is where we would be playing uh, Face the Thing That Should Not Be, my Metallica, if we uh, weren't going to get copyright struck. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, oh, All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and kick the show off there. Um, yeah. So there's so much out there just outside of historicals, but uh, yeah. So. I want to thank Marty and Jim and Chris for joining us today. It's good to have the clan back together or yes. group. I don't know if clan's probably the best word. Well, you know, if you're yeah. talking like Scottish clan. Scottish clan, yes. That's all good. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, nobody's wearing bed sheets and a <laughs> dunce cap. Yeah, yeah, right? So, all right, guys. Uh, it was awesome as always. Uh, thank you to our awesome group of people that follow us and comment and marty's number one fan tough ears yeah she didn't rag on you today man i did fall out of my chair <laughs> speaking There's of no. chops these will be these will be gone tomorrow oh, no. this tomorrow oh, tomorrow this. is uh so uh chris and i both do the uh st baldrick's uh shave your head to cure childhood cancers fundraiser and mm -hmm. tomorrow is shave day for us so i've been Everyone's like, oh, that's a great sacrifice, shaving your head. No, it's not, because I don't like long hair. The sacrifice is the <laughs> three months I haven't had a haircut, and I've been going crazy for, like, the last month Earth. and a half. Crazy so, Oh, I am I am so looking forward to finally getting rid of uh, all of this stuff. And, right? and I knew I would make my goal because mom really wants the beard gone. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I... Uh, what's your goal? 500 bucks? <laughs> Shave it. Do it now. Yeah. It's like buy now on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right, guys. So we're going to. Okay, hey, Bill, off. we're uh, yeah. we're looking forward to you having better internet. Right. And uh, safe travels with all that Thank stuff. You. And, yep. 100%. Uh, we yeah, are congrats looking. Congrats on the new role, it sounds like. Yep. Thank you. And uh, we are looking so. forward to hopefully seeing you in three weeks. Yeah. Right. Uh, 
We'll see what we're, happens. We're, so we're uh, very excited. Bill Bill is the proud owner of his own hot dog cart now. He's going to uh, <laughs> be rolling it through Memphis. We're going to see how long he survives. I'll send you some body armor. Uh, Careful! I don't yeah. think you buy a body armor in Illinois anymore. Uh, one, yeah, yes, you can. Like... Two, I've already got it, and I'm yep. pretty sure either you have it or I have yours. Still, mm. I have yours. I think so. I'll just send you your shit back. All right. So cool. All right, guys. So next time you see us on this podcast, we will be uh, broadcasting from Tennessee and parts around the world. So uh, we'll see you then. And Wednesday night, uh, I'll be jumping on, uh, give Jim a little break so he can work on some more of his big projects. Um, Might have something to do with a last stand somewhere. So, Hmm. hmm. So we will see you on Wednesday. Guys, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to our awesome group of friends out there in internet world. And we will see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye.